Hello, you're listening to No Such Word as Can't with me, Hazel McBride. I was always told growing up that there was no such word as can't, and I genuinely believe that that mentality instilled a belief in me that anything was possible if I just set my mind to it. As someone who started off with a seemingly impossible dream and somehow made it my reality, I want to help more people achieve their goals by giving them actionable advice, as well as sharing stories from others who have done the same. Of course, Amanda Young was going to be a guest on my podcast. If you already follow me on social media, then you will already know who this girl is. It is none other than Manda from That Manda Girl. Hello. Hi, what an intro. Thank you so much. (laughs) Yeah, former trainer, best-selling author, influencer, extraordinaire. (laughs) Honestly, though, all of that being said, the title that gets people most excited when I was an intern coordinator was, you know, Hazel McBride, she just tagged (laughs) you in a photo. Do you guys, are you like friends? I was like, yeah, we are. (laughs) That's so still so strange to me. Like how the internet is weird. Yeah. We have known (laughs) each other for a while now. Yeah. Going on four years. Yeah. Yeah. We've known each other since just before or just as you became a trainer on the killer rail team at SeaWorld Orlando and Mm -hmm. yeah we've we've helped each other out a lot along the way (laughs) it has been a journey that is for sure (laughs) yeah so I mean it's no secret that you're someone who has a hell of a lot of passion creativity drive massive type a personality um but how how did it all start? Like when, when did you just give me it from the beginning? What was your first dream and how did you go about trying to get it? <laughs> I first dream was killer wheel trainer. I feel mm-hmm. like so many of us that is, you know, we, I grew up in the age of SeaWorld at its prime and seeing the killer whales in the shows. And I was fortunate enough to go there as such a young child and have the ability and access to go to a SeaWorld SeaWorld Park regularly. And I distinctly remember sitting in the audience the first time and turning around to my mom and being like, yeah, I'm going to do that someday. And it wasn't like this doe-eyed, like, oh my God, I want to do that. It was just, yeah, I'm going to do that. Like, Very matter, matter of fact, fact, you know, like, yeah, mm-hmm. there's there's no questions. I gave myself no plan B. Um, I know what that's like, <laughs> you know, which is great, but also not so great. And so like, it's great at the time when you're trying to achieve it. Right. Because yes. if you give yourself no other options, you basically dive in and are laser focused on this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to make it happen. But then later on, you know, if things don't work out or things change, like that's when it gets difficult. But how did you, before we get into all of that, (laughs) how did you, how did you become a trainer? Because you weren't, you didn't go directly to killer whales. No, no. In America, that's very challenging to do as anywhere else, I assume. And the first, I started with internships. So I entered, interned at Clearwater Aquarium, Florida Aquarium. I lived in Florida, so I had a lot of facilities at my fingertips. Yep, you were in uh, Peak Dolphin Central. Yes, pretty much. And my first actually like step into what could be considered the animal field was actually an education position. So I was fighting for interviews and my name was just not getting picked. And I realized that I was just a sea of names at that point. 
So I decided to go to the education route and the education department is incredible because they know that a lot of people are there to get their foot in the door, become internal, and then go to animal training. Um, so you started off in education at SeaWorld? Mm-hmm. At SeaWorld, yeah. Okay, yeah. And I learned a lot in that department because I learned that educators were the first defense for trainers, at least at mm. SeaWorld. And people would ask them questions and they could like fend off the awful questions so that the trainers didn't have to deal with that and could focus on, you know, actually working with the animals. So I learned a lot in that department, how to handle uncomfortable situations and awful things that people would ask me. From there, I got a job at a zoo and actually worked as a docent. So again, education, but that position also handled small mammals uh, as like birds of prey, possums, you know, things like that, like small animals. We take them around to schools and do like little educational presentations. fun. Yes. That was actually my first like jump into the animal field. From there though, I got the Navy Marine Mammal uh, Program position. And that's kind of when marine mammal entered my life. And so I was catapulted into that world of the private sector and security clearance and night shifts and swimming in water that you can't see your hand like 30 inches in front of you. So, (laughs) yeah, I mean, for so many people, and, you know, I'm talking obviously to a lot of different people on the podcast who have made crazy dreams happen. There is no one way to achieve a dream. And I love that you just said, you know, you applied for so many different positions and it wasn't happening. So you changed your plan. Isn't that like that? Like that is one of the major rules in training. If your plan doesn't work, change the plan. So you went the education route and then you got your first position. And then after you were at the Navy, tell me where you went. Yeah. So after the Navy, I really realized while working with the animals was incredible, the freedom that I was given as a new trainer to fail was amazing. And I say that because every other facility I went to after that, I didn't have the adequate room to fail, to try, to try again. And at the Navy, they're like, you can't break these animals. They're literally military dolphins. They've been here for years and years. What you as a little 22 year old trainer, you're not going to break them. And so I, I was able to try these crazy training plans and try these crazy enrichment ideas. And I know we do bloods, um, on their back flippers, but what if we did a brachial blood? Like, what if we did this? What if we did that? And I just had the ability to fail and fail well, which taught me to become such a great trainer. Yes. Mm -hmm. I love that. This is, this is something I talk about with all of my mentees because the fear of failing when you become a trainer is so high because, you want it so badly. You want to prove yourself, but you're absolutely going to fail. You're going to make so many mistakes because you're learning and there's no foolproof plan ever when you're working with animals because the animals are always going to change. And similarly to what you said, failing well, I always say, make your mistakes confidently. If you can tell Mm -hmm. me, like when I was watching, you know, neurotrainers do sessions, we would always say, if you're going to make a mistake, I don't care as long as you can tell me why you thought it was a good idea and now why you know it was a mistake. Exactly. And it's not the question of if you'll fail, it's how you'll fail and then how Mm -hmm. you recover after that. So while I was at the Navy, I really missed the public side of the Mm -hmm. training world. 
I miss talking to people. I miss sharing my passion, things like that. So I actually started volunteering at Marine Land. So on my three days off, I would drive an hour down and volunteer in their education department. Girl, you're crazy. Yeah. Uh, my husband was like, are you kidding me? Like, why? <laughs> and I was like, because I need a facility that is comprehensible to people. That's mm-hmm. tangible that on paper, they know, okay, they're connected to Georgia aquarium. A lot of people don't know what the Navy is. And a lot of it is still secret that in mm-hmm. an interview I would get asked question. I'd be like, yeah, that's classified. Yeah. I can't talk. Yeah. About that. You know, which makes me sound cool, but it's not good in an interview. Yeah. So I finally applied for a job at Discovery Cove. And that's how I got into SeaWorld Parks. Um, my husband's job transferred us to Tampa. And I was like, well, that's as close Amazing. as I'm going to get. I'm going to drive the hour and a half every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I applied at Discovery Cove and got the job. And yes, you did. That's where it started. <laughs> mm-hmm. So how, what was it like for you finally being able to do interaction programs you said that you wanted to be able to share these animals with the public again so what was that like going from the navy to discovery cove where you were running dolphin interaction programs multiple times a day i loved it it was my bread and butter getting to meet hundreds of new people daily was everything that my little extroverted heart needed i just felt fulfilled in the sense Mm -hmm. that I was watching the passion forming, the understanding forming, someone touch a dolphin for the first time, someone get to kiss a dolphin and, you know, all those cheesy heartthrob moments, I was helping facilitate every 30 minutes. And I really, I really enjoyed it a lot. There definitely came some monotony because with interactions, there's only so many ways you can talk about a dolphin's pectoral flipper. And there's only Mm -hmm. so many ways you can facilitate a kiss, you know? And so I had to come up with ways to keep it fun and creative for me, but mostly for my animals. Oh yeah, definitely for sure. But, um, I'm sure my listeners are going to want to know, how did you make the big move? The, the big jump (laughs) to, you know, you said that when you were younger, your ultimate goal was become a killer whale trainer. And everything that you've done that you've just spoken about up until that point was leading you there. You were going Mm -hmm. one step closer every single time. So what was it like applying for the position, doing the interview, and then eventually getting that call? Um, Terrifying. All capital (laughs) letters, terrifying. I had heard, I remember I was sitting up on pool watch. It was the day at Discovery Cove. I was watching all the animals and one of my friends came up to me and I was like, Hey, I know you said you always wanted to like go across the street, which if you're not familiar with Discovery Cove and SeaWorld, they're separate parks. They're literally across the street from each other. So she was like, I know you said you wanted to go across the street. There's a rumor that someone just got full-time at Shamu Stadium. And that means the uh, part-time position at that area is potentially going to be open. And I was like, oh my God. And she's (laughs) like, okay, I'm going to swap you out so you can go apply on your phone. And so I like ran down and applied on my phone, like right there, because the way SeaWorld works is it's only up until it hits the cap of the amount of people they're allowing to apply. And so it could be gone in hours. And this was an internal only position, which means it was only people internal that could mm-hmm. apply. So, but there's still the so, there are still so many people that are working internally that want to get to killer whale. Oh yeah. But the way SeaWorld Orlando does it is it was a general position. So it did not say mm. for Shamu stadium, but you knew it, you and, knew that it was for Shamu. 
the rumors were there. They were there. And so I just applied on the rumor. Granted, that day that I was up on pool watch was the day I got checked off as a fully functioning trainer. So I had done my like shallow water training and then I had just gotten checked off on deep water. So I was now officially fully checked off trainer. I could do any position. So it was taboo that I applied. It was actually not good that I applied because they had just spent all this time training me. And so I was sitting there like, oh my God, everyone's going to hate me, but this could be my only shot. So I'm just going to go for it. And I'm a big proponent of jiggling all the doorknobs. Like you're not going to know what door is open unless you do the work to see if it's unlocked or not. So I applied on my phone. I went back. I swapped with her. The next day I get a phone call. Hey, we want to interview you. Um, The swim test is going to be in three days. I was like, (gasps) oh my God, I'm great, we're great. So the interview is before my shift. I had a late shift that day. So the interview is right before it. And I was like, okay, I don't think I have to call out because I don't want to call out because I'm interviewing for a job in the same company. Like, oh my gosh. So I'm like freaking out. I do the interview. The moment I walk into the swim test, I see the curator of Shamu and I was like, this is for Shamu. Oh my God. (laughs) Yeah. It hits you like the gravity of what you're actually, you're about to swim test for a killer whale. Yeah. Um, not to mention it was Laura. So like, you know, yeah. a face that I had grown up with watching mm-hmm. on DVD my whole childhood. So I walk yes. in and I'm like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. I do the interview. I pass the swim test. I go in, we talk, we instantly click. Like there's just this, like, I don't know, chemistry that her and I had. It, I just really felt the most confident I'd ever felt in an interview. I just felt like we gelled so much. So I'm walking out of the interview and I call my boss at Discovery Cove and I was like, Hey, I'm going to be like five minutes late, but I'm coming. And she's like, why, why are you going to be late? I was like, <laughs> cause I had an interview across the street. Like, <gasps> so she's like, well, okay. So I like run, I run to Discovery Cove. I start my shift. I go on lunch and on lunch, my phone rings an unknown phone number. And that as SeaWorld, when you apply to SeaWorld, you know, HR is an unknown phone number. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I literally just left the interview three hours ago. What yeah. is going on? I answer my phone. They're like, Hey, we want to give you the position. You start next week. And oh I was like, oh. so like <laughs> within the span of two weeks, I applied, interviewed and got the position yeah. and started. It's so weird. Like when, when a moment like that happens, like, I don't know how it felt for you because this is for both of us. Killer Rail was the goal. It was the dream. I don't think either of us saw anything past that in our lives is what we'd, the only thing we'd ever wanted. And I remember similarly, when I applied to Laurel Park, um, I think I sent off uh, my resume. I got the call for an interview. I did it on the phone. I was living in the Dominican. I was like shaking the entire time on the phone talking to. Um, oh my gosh the head trainer and then I got a call at five in the morning because she'd forgotten uh what the time difference was so the house phone because we had a house phone there so the house phone rang and me and my roommate heard it she ran down the stairs because we both knew the only person that was gonna be calling the house was was her right so she sat there with me as I was like hello (laughs) and she was like oh, you sound really tired. Have I got the time difference wrong? I was like, yeah, it's five in the morning, but it's okay. <laughs> what do you it's want okay, to tell I'm me? I'm here. <laughs> and the same thing. She was like, yeah, you've got the job. And yeah, me and my roommate, needless to say, we did not go back to bed. 
Oh my goodness. Yeah. It's just such a exciting and terrifying feeling because you know that everything's about to change. Mm-hmm. And change it did. So what was it like mm-hmm. going from working with dolphins all of a sudden to going uh, across the street to work with mm-hmm. Killer Rail? Well, it's funny. I Back in the day, I definitely owned and loved the Killer Whale Trainer title, but now mm-hmm. I like giggle at it because in reality, I probably did three sessions with a killer whale. And I'm going to be fully honest because <laughs> I was only there six months before yeah. I got laid off and I watched a million sessions. I scrubbed a million pools. I raked leaves. I made gelatin. I mm-hmm. made their food every day, pilled their fish, slapped a target pole all the time. But in reality, I only did a couple sessions. So now looking back, I'm just like, eh. Was I a killer whale trainer? I was of course, no, no, no. Of, of, <laughs> course, of course you were a killer whale trainer because, you know, you're still a valuable part of that team. It doesn't matter what role you're playing. And for anyone who isn't aware of how it works, you know, on killer whale teams, you move very, very slowly when you first start because working with orca is so different to working with dolphin. Mm-hmm. The... Mm-hmm they're so much more complex, so much more challenging, and you do really need to take your time. So like when I first started at Laurel Park, similarly, it was a good six months before I started doing sessions with Skyla. And after about two years, two years is usually the benchmark where you're now finally doing everything with one animal. So you'll Mm -hmm. be doing everything in show. You'll be doing the majority of the husbandry stuff with one animal. And Laura Park and SeaWorld are pretty much a mirror image because they had the same protocol, at least at the Mm -hmm. time when I was working there. Yep. Yep. When I moved to Marineland, it went a lot faster because I'd already had killer rail experience. But I don't ever want to hear you say that you don't know if you were a killer rail trainer. Girl, you were. It does not matter what part of the machine you wear. Like every cog is important. I know that's just my imposter syndrome coming in. And, yeah. and too, like, yeah, it's a very coveted position and only a few people make it there, but mm-hmm. I made it. I just you didn't did. get to stay. And, but honestly, I'm grateful for that time. It was so humbling mm-hmm. because as I said, coming in, coming into the killer rail position, I already had three years of animal training experience. So by mm-hmm. definition, at least at SeaWorld, if those three years had been at SeaWorld, I would have been considered a senior trainer, but I'm coming in at the very bottom level. Thinking back to my Navy experience, I was primary. I trained a scope. I trained an ultrasound. I trained laser therapy on a dolphin, trained a blood from start to finish. So I had known a lot of these things and then getting to a facility that was like, oh, when you're trainer level, you can pour the water for a hydration. And I'm just like, okay. I can do that. Okay. But like having the knowledge to like, no, I trained a hydration from start to finish. And so again, every new position I started from the bottom and I just had to remind myself, like, it's worth it. Be humble, head up, chin down, do the work, you know, and it'll pay off. Yeah. You absolutely, there's no room for ego. There is Mm -hmm. no room for ego in this job. And, you know, even if you have to, and it happens with a lot of people when they've been at one facility and progressed at one facility but they want to change and go somewhere else they do kind of need to pay their dues again depending on the position that they get hired in it's not you know unique to your situation it does happen you know across the field and I think that it's good 
to let people know that and to let them know that the best thing to do is just work hard and know that you will reap the rewards eventually. Mm -hmm. So um, what was the reason that you were only at Killer Oil for six months? Because I don't think you chose to leave. (laughs) <laughs> no, I didn't. If I had it my way, I would still be there right now. Yeah. And um, I woke up to another unknown number calling. I was like, I didn't apply for any position. Why am I getting this phone call? And it was some random woman in HR saying, hey, Amanda, you don't need to come into work today. Your position's been eliminated. We will mail you all your things. You are not allowed um, to use your ID anymore. You can't even come collect your things because killer whale had like security to get into it and everything and I was like my first reaction was do you have the right Amanda because there were two Amandas at Shamu Mm -hmm. and the other Amanda was full-time higher up again I was part-time and a peon I got paid the least I knew the least in company standards I would be the easiest one to keep because I mattered the least but the way they did the layoffs that year is they picked people who had just transferred to a new area within a year and every single person that that was regardless of status or like if they were full-time part-time anything like that they just got cut um and so I was cut with a good chunk of the animal training uh industry within SeaWorld yeah this was this was part of the 2019 2018 2019 the animal training department. Most of the time, the layoffs were not really around the animal training department mm-hmm. or when they did, it was like higher up supervisors and curators, things like that. So this was mm-hmm. like a big hit that had hit the animal training department. Yeah, and that's such a big, you know, shock to the system. You know, one day you're going into work and you're a trainer, you've got your dream job and you wake up to one phone call. And in the space of a couple of minutes, your world is now turned upside down. You don't get to go in and say goodbye to the animals. You don't get mm-hmm. to go in and say goodbye to your coworkers. You know, it's very much a clean cut that leaves a gaping wound. <laughs> so yes. how did you find the resilience to kind of come back from that? It was a journey. I would say that's definitely the moment that I was clued into where my mental health was at. That was not really an idea or a concept that I had thought about because again, I gave myself no plan B. So I just kept grinding no matter Mm -hmm. the sacrifices I made, me not being able to take care of myself, things like that. And so again, that ego that comes with being in the marine mammal training field, we all have it. I was like, "Mm, I could either try and get a job again at SeaWorld because when they laid me off, they said, you can keep your benefits and you're still an active employee if you get a job within the company within the next two months. If you don't get a job within the next two months in the company, you cannot apply for a position for, I think it was like nine months. Oh my gosh. You can't try and come back until another year. And at that point you'll be starting over where if I got a job for two months, that it would just be like, I never got laid off kind of thing. So some of my coworkers chose to go that route and they got jobs at Discovery Cove and just hopped over across the street and Mm -hmm. are still there. And since I had just come from Discovery Cove, I was like, yeah, but I know that I'd been there six, seven, eight, nine months. And I was starting to feel myself plateauing. So I decided instead of going back there and honestly humbling myself again, like, Hey, I went across the street. Now I'm back. 
I decided to completely switch gears in the animal training field and apply to a job working with elephants at Zoo Tampa. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, to a lot of people that might sound like something completely different, you know, it, it's a land mammal, it's a marine mammal, mm-hmm. but actually when you're looking at the animals themselves, their social structure, their intelligence levels, you know, it's actually pretty similar. So what was your experience like going from being a marine mammal trainer to being a zookeeper? Yeah. So being at Shamu Stadium and having those six months of intensive learning rules, learning regulations, learning safety completely set me up to work with elephants because I came in fresh with the knowledge of a class one animal, which is how zoos and aquariums classify animals that are considered the most dangerous and that have those safety regulations. So at the zoo, we called them red animals. And that means there's two person lock protocols. You have to be trained for a year before you can even have the key to lock that lock. And Again, it's just the responsibility of taking care of that dangerous animal. And while our elephants, we operated completely protective contact with them as we did the killer whales at SeaWorld Orlando. Um, Well, it was like semi-protective contact there, but those rules really helped set me up. And especially learning the social group of the killer whales and the matriarch running the whole pod and how they communicate and you can't even hear them communicating and what you're doing in session probably has nothing to do with what's happening in Mm -hmm. their social structure and elephants are the same exact way and you feed an animal wrong and they're going to hear from it from the matriarch and vice versa and so just knowing that while I think I might be running this session but in reality they are completely running the show not me yeah and do you think that going to something similar, you know, while it was still very different in terms of your day-to-day tasks, do you think that that helped you mentally, not necessarily recover, but at least cope with having left the whales and that, you know, massive dream that you had always had was now behind you, was now, you know, not what you were doing. Do you think that that helped or, or did it make it worse or? Yeah, it just distracted me. Yeah. Honestly, I still harbored a lot of anger towards mm-hmm. that company that had just ripped my dreams away from me. And I loved working with elephants, but they weren't killer whales. Mm-hmm. And I learned so much about myself. I learned to become such a better trainer working with elephants. And I really developed incredible relationships with some of those elephants that I hadn't had in another animal. But there was still this like harboring cloud in my mind of it's not killer whales and Mm -hmm. it's not the one in wetsuit and no one's coming up to me while I'm shoveling poop saying I want to grow up and be you Amanda you just Mm -hmm. have the best job ever you know yeah and part of me and my personality and character flaw is I like being special I I liked having a job that no one else had and able to talk about it on social media. And while being an elephant trainer, there's not many people that are elephant trainers. I just couldn't let go of the fact that I had got there. I had done it. And then it wasn't even my decision to leave. I took a lot, a long time to get over. Yeah. I think like, obviously when I left the whales, it was my decision. It was a very, you know, an extremely difficult decision to make, but I can't even imagine having that decision made for me. Yeah. That's and a lot a of whole people, other ball game. 
a lot of people ask, well, why didn't you just go back to killer whales? Because it's not that easy. Again, mm-hmm. the way sea world works is you have to apply for a general position and it's just wherever they have a hole. And yes, someday you could transfer over to killer whale but again. I had only been there six months to where they could have just trained a brand new person yeah. in that same time, you know? And so I could have fought my way back, but I guess I just didn't really have that fight in me because I had anymore. Just, yeah. I was just like, I did it. I don't know that I want to, I don't know that I want to do that. You know? Well, like it's an awful lot of work to get you there once, you know, it takes mm-hmm. so much energy and time and commitment and money to get you to that place for the first time. So I can yeah. imagine the way, you know, you, you reached, you know, maybe the middle of the mountain, <laughs> if mm-hmm. you're talking about how, you know, you just started at Killer Hill and then the other half of the mountain is progressing in that department, right. you'd now been kicked all the way down to the bottom again. And you were just yeah. looking at this going, oh my God, like, do I have anything left in me to get myself back up there? Or am I going to choose a different path? Um, yep. and you did choose a different path and how, how did it progress? How, how did you find working with elephants or being in a zoo environment? I learned that I had a huge ego and a lot of people in the animal training field have a huge ego. And I learned that just because my dream of being a killer whale trainer was my dream, that doesn't mean it was everyone else's dream. Mm-hmm. There are people that I worked with that their dream was to work with elephants. Yes. And the way I felt at Shammy Stadium was the way they felt about waking up every morning working mm-hmm. with elephants. And it was so humbling to be alongside them and having them give me the grace to kind of work through giving up my wetsuit because that was a big deal. There would be days that I would be shoveling a rhino midden in the pouring rain. And I was just like, I didn't have to shovel poop at Shamu Stadium, you know? And yeah. there was this whole like progress of, of having to let that dream go and finding ways that I could have a new dream. And yes. I learned to love animals that I never thought I would love. Did I mm-hmm. think I would fall in love with a marabou stork and have an incredible relationship with her? <laughs> Absolutely not. Birds actually terrify me. Mm-hmm. So that relationship meant so much. And getting to do husbandry on animals that people don't think are as smart, but being able to work on a blood with an copy or do a procedure on a painted dog. My, my world was just expanded when I gave it a chance to surprise me. Yes. Oh, I love that. I love that so much. And I think it's such a big part of your personality and mine is that the way our brains work, it's not really oh, I need a job. Let me go and find, you know, what's going to make me money. We tend to go, what am I passionate about and what do I enjoy doing? And let's see if money comes after that, you know, can I support myself doing that? And, you know, since that one ultimate dream of being a killer rail trainer, since that, it seems like you have blossomed into having so many little mini dreams or little projects that you're now being incredibly successful at. So (laughs) tell me, tell me about them. Like, how do you think them up? How do they come to you? How do you decide now what to, what to strive for? Yeah. So to like wrap up all of that into a pretty little present there, 
I was at the zoo. I loved it. The global pandemic hit. My mental health started tanking again. So mm-hmm. it was already tanking those couple months that I was unemployed and laid off and trying to figure out what I was going to do. It was like threefold when the pandemic hit. And that was the moment that all that anger I had been harboring from being laid off came back. And mm-hmm. I was spiteful. I was angry. I held grudges. I was mad that I wasn't picked to stay to help during the pandemic, that I wasn't considered essential. I wasn't needed. No one said that to me. That was my brain. And it just started this tornado of anger and grief. And I really realized that I had not done the work to properly process the life change I had been through in the past, like two years. Mm -hmm. And I went back to work that fall and it just felt different. And I just felt this pulling and this nudging that I'm not, I don't think I'm where I'm supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And there was just, this I mean, it was moment. a lot of, it was a lot of disappointment for you, you know, you be yeah. let go from killer whale and then the pandemic hit. And when you were at elephants, you were furloughed, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it was the same cycle repeating itself again. So mm-hmm. what steps did you take for your mental health when you went back in the fall? Yeah. So that was the moment that I really enjoyed being at home during COVID. Once I figured out what was going on with my brain, I loved having that time with my husband. I loved having that time with my dogs. I loved having time to create and do what I wanted on Instagram. And that became more of my job instead of going to work with the animals. Mm. And when I came back, I really had this moment because one of our newer employees had just gotten promoted to be with elephants and she was so excited and she was crying and she was so happy. And I stood there and I was like, I'm taking up space for someone who's, this is their dream. Mm. Because you didn't feel the same way. And this isn't my dream. I'm not happy here. And while I'm good at what I do, I'm a great leader. I'm helping that's not, that's not how I feel. And Mm -hmm. it was this moment that I made a decision that instead of taking up space, I would rather give someone an opportunity to fill my spot uh, to feel that way. Because at that moment, I wasn't doing anything productive for the team, Mm -hmm. for myself, for the animals. And I had just reached this point of being stagnant and that was incredibly uncomfortable for me. And I realized that every time in my life, when I meet and reach that point of uncomfortability, it's the moment I know that I'm about to grow. Yeah. And from that moment, I made the decision to walk away from a field that had been my entire life had been my dream. And sure. I had pivoted a million times and overcome all these obstacles, but I decided to walk away and try and find something else that fulfilled me and also served my mental health (laughs) at the same time. Yeah. And, you know, you've, you've completely done that, you know, you've grown all of your social channels, you have your own podcast, you even have a book series, which we'll get to in a little bit, (laughs) 
but I want to talk quickly about mental health because you've yeah. mentioned you've mentioned it a lot so far and you know you are definitely someone who has done a lot of work into you know trying to improve yourself trying to make sure that you are in the best mental state possible um talk us through a little bit of that and what that journey was like yeah so I literally had this conversation yesterday with our mutual friend Mimi and we were talking about our journeys and again our friendship and how it's been three years and all of that Mm -hmm. and she looked at me and she was like you realize you wouldn't be where you are right now like with all the you have going on all the success surrounding you if you wouldn't have made the decision to leave the animal field yeah and she's like screw the layoff we all know you would have like problem solved around that but you making that decision to leave and give up something that you loved and you had worked for to focus on yourself because you felt your mental health was unsustainable and trending very much downward she's like amanda that that was the moment for you like you would not be where you are right now if you hadn't walked away. And she's like, I don't know many people that could have done that. And I was like, Ooh, that makes me feel uncomfortable. I don't like when you say things, <laughs> you know, but I, I really thought, and I've really like mold that over yesterday and today. And I was like, wow, you know, I can blame it on these layoffs and furlough and COVID, but she's right. At the end of the day, what was the turning point was me deciding to stand up for myself and take mm-hmm. care of myself. And yeah, mental health has been a huge part of my life. I myself through the past year of now being an entrepreneur and working for my own brand found out that I do have some pretty massive mental illnesses. And the other month you said to me, you're like, yeah, I suspected, you know, your, your latest diagnosis was not a surprise (laughs) for me. (laughs) Yeah. And it's funny because when I tell people about my bipolar two diagnosis, PS, I have bipolar two along a lot of other list of mental health disorders. But that one that I recently got in September, a lot of people who are not within the mental health world or like have attachment to people who work in the medical field are like, what, what? Because the media makes people with bipolar Mm -hmm. out to be these crazed monsters who don't take their meds and ah. Yeah, we had this conversation, um, you know, privately, just the two of us. Mm -hmm. And I, I said to you, I was like, this is something that, I'm seeing more and more in social media is, you know, mental illnesses such as anxiety or now even depression are spoken about a lot more. That stigma that's surrounding them, you know, is, is decreasing, you know, which is only a positive. Um, But other mental illnesses such as bipolar, personality disorders, schizophrenia. Oh yeah. There's still a huge amount of stigma and judgment and you know, I feel very lucky. I was raised by a psychiatric nurse. I used to go and visit her at work. I would see her, her patients and, you know, they're, they're just normal, normal people. So, you know, I feel very lucky that I don't feel like I have that same stigma. Um, so when you said to me, you're like, yeah, I've been diagnosed with bipolar too. I was like, makes sense. <laughs> yep. Uh-huh. Yeah. And what was that like she for says you that she says that because when you look back on my life and you see all these creative spurts and entrepreneur moments and all of this, looking back and knowing my diagnosis, you're like, and that is mania right there. And the fact that for years and years and years, I was going and going and going until I got that killer whale job. I feel like the past five years leading up to that was entirely 
a manic episode because I was grinding and driving and giving a hundred percent and not even thinking about consequences and like, can we go back to like when you mentioned that you had a, a job and then you would drive for hours to go and volunteer somewhere else. Um, yes. Now yes. is now that's making sense. Yes. And then the moment that the structure, so people with bipolar thrive on structure, we yeah. need structure in daily routine because the moment that gets skewed, that is, that can help our moods get out of whack. Mm-hmm. And so the moment that job got taken away from me and it wasn't wake up, work out, go to work, come home, eat dinner. And I just had all this free time. Mm-hmm. I was like, Whoa. And that's when I hit a major depressive episode, mm-hmm. but then I was like, Ooh, elephants. That's flashy. I can go there. Boom. Another manic episode, the pandemic hits. Whew. And so I can look and see these highs and lows in my life. Mm-hmm. And because I think what a lot of people that- don't understand with bipolar a lot of people understand it as, you know, a one minute you're going to be super happy. And then the next minute you're going to be super sad, but it can, it can be weeks. It can be days. It can be months of a manic episode or a depressive episode. Yes. And with the mania, it presents itself differently in every single person. Mm -hmm. So for me, my manic episodes are huge bursts of creativity and filming 50 TikToks in one hour and just like pew, 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 pew or deciding that I'm going to paint my room rainbow, or I'm going to crochet all these purses and just having these bursts of energy. And sure, people follow the dopamine to find serotonin, but when you have bipolar, it's at times 10. And then the moment that manic episode stops, you can't get out of bed. You can't brush your teeth. It's exhausting to drink a cup of coffee in order to answer emails. That's all you can do in one day. And so these very extremes. So once I got diagnosed and on the correct meds, I live like a normal person. And sure. (laughs) I still, I still have creative moments. I still have depressive episodes, but my meds are amazing. And were you afraid, were you afraid at all with going on the medication? Cause I've heard this from other people who, who have similar diagnosis that going on medication would, um, like stem your creativity at all, or would like take away parts of who you were? Yeah. So my uncle actually had bipolar one. So bipolar two, bipolar one, bipolar one means that he lived in the mania and would have depressive episodes. Bipolar two, I live in the depressive episodes and have bursts of mania. If I can like latch on and harness the mania, I can live in it longer. Like we talked about those Mm -hmm. like years of trying to get to that goal. And so for my meds, my meds bring me up to the middle line. And so I function as a normal person. So when Mm -hmm. I have depressive episodes, it dips a little low. When I have manic episodes, it dips a little high, but but it's not out of control for him. His meds brought him down to normalcy. And that's where a lot of people that have bipolar one, that, that is a complaint that they don't feel as vibrant and as light and they don't feel like themselves where with me, after I started taking my meds. I was like, oh my God, I'm more Amanda than I've ever been because I have the energy to exist. And Uh, all of that stuff that I was doing before and being able to find success and start these new businesses, I was still operating at a 10 of depression and like being so exhausted. And so mm -hmm. now I'm like, 
wow, my life is at a, a one. And now I have <laughs> that much more energy to do these things that yeah. I want to do. And so if anything, it's giving me the freedom to take breaks, but also keep going. So I think that's I, amazing. It's going to bring, it is going to bring your life into more of a balance for sure. Um, and I think, you know, for a lot of people, just having the diagnosis is half the battle, you know, just understanding like, oh, now you've told me this, this, this is starting to make sense. And I think it's commendable that you're so open about talking about it and you want to, you know, share your journey and your experiences with other people who might be feeling the same. And, you know, that goes for more topics than just mental health. You know, inclusivity has become such a staple in your brand over the last couple of years. Yeah, I personally have a lot of friends that identify within the LGBTQIA plus community and with, hey, you're one of them. Yeah, <laughs> not talking about hey. me, you're by bestie. Hey. <laughs> I know, I um, I actually have a group chat with some of my friends titled Bi Queens. They're bisexual, but I'm bipolar. So I like, fit in there a little bit, you know, I'm like, bi queen. I love yes. that, now you fit in. You're like, now knocking on the door. I have this diagnosis, can I come in now? <laughs> hey, can I come in? I love you and support you. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I realized that, Sure, we talk about mental health, mental health, and like the intersectionality of that. But then let's talk about this whole community of people that have been struggling and been oppressed, and mm-hmm. there's just so much more. And so yeah, I think I'm, also, I'm... if I can just interject as well, like what I've noticed, you know, being bisexual, and when I was growing up, even when I was a teenager, not that it was taboo to say it, like I didn't ever feel any pressure to like, I don't even ever feel the need to like come out or tell people like people who know yeah. me will figure it out eventually. Um, but there was just so much more. Now there's just so much more acceptance, I feel, but we still unfortunately have so much further to go. You know, it's it's this strange moment that we're in where there's so many people that are just so accepting and just ready to be like, yeah, be who you are, love who you are, um, have marriage equality, have everything that like so just embracing the community. But there's still so many people who are are so backward in their way of thinking. And it really is important for everyone within the community, but also people who aren't in the community to use their voices to support us. And that's something I think you're doing fantastically. Oh, I thank you. First of all, thank you. But I, I realized that, okay, if I'm going to talk about mental health and stigma and breaking barriers there, I can't talk about mental health until I talk about mental health in men versus women. Mm -hmm. And then if we're talking about that, then what about people of color and minorities and their Mm -hmm. mental health? and their access okay take it further than what about these other communities and I just started realizing that it's a lot more than just cis straight white woman Amanda's mental health Mm -hmm. it's about everyone's and Mm -hmm. you can't advocate for one without the other and it all just goes hand in hand and so you can't advocate for equal rights until you start talking about healthcare and mental health and all this other stuff like it all goes hand in hand. And so Mm -hmm. I challenge creators that advocate for mental health to think about 
there are lots of different avenues of that. And mm -hmm. yeah, you're right. Not everyone is inclusive for all, but I don't think we can talk about one category without talking about all of them. And so. I think also we have to realize how skewed um, circumstance can be. You know, the way that um, minority groups or people of color have to deal with mental health or, or what can cause mental health issues with them is so much more deep rooted and they have so many more obstacles in their way than someone who is a privileged white person who has quite easy access to getting therapists and support groups. You know, I yep. think we still have a long way to go into, you know, making everything equal for everyone. I completely agree. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so that's my hope. Like you said, depression, anxiety has kind of become mainstream in the sense mm -hmm. that after the past two years that we have ongoing going yeah. through, I don't know a single friend that's not on antidepressants or anti-anxiety meds because let's be real, the world halted yeah. and that brought out a lot of mental illnesses that people weren't aware of. Yeah. And yeah, it's cool to talk about like Tumblr depression and like anxiety talk and all of this, but OCD is huge. PTSD, like you said, yeah. mood disorders, like bipolar personality disorders. There's a lot more mental illnesses mm -hmm. that are not people's fault. And that's Absolutely. the big thing is there's nothing I did to get this diagnosis. I'm sure. Maybe my PTSD that comes with things that happened to me or mm -hmm. life experiences that I was involved in, but even so it's not my fault. No, and absolutely. Just the fact that my brain is wired differently. My brain's chemistry is different. Yeah, it's and, chemical. And so I've chosen to think of it as it's, it's not what makes me different or like a downfall. It's my superpower being bipolar. Yes. I love that. I feel at a hundred high or low, like the fact that I'm already an empathetic person, but my empathy is times 10 because I feel on this huge colorful scale yes. where most people have like, you know, the five core emotions where mine are like, whoa, this huge <laughs> rainbow <laughs> of emotions. <laughs> yes. I love that you compared it to a superpower because that just sounds so like your book's main character with her superpowers. <laughs> yes. Was that maybe where the inspiration came from? <laughs> you know, yes. So yeah, my children's book, while it is whimsical and fictional, it is very much based on experiences that I've been through. Mm -hmm. Again, animal trainers, we always hoped that we could talk to our animals and they could talk back to us. And this book that I just wrote that's coming out soon in April is all about the main character, Manda, the zookeeper, finding her voice, earning her training whistle, and in the end, learning that her speaking up when no one is around is really her superpower. Yes. And that's something that I really read and I learned that lesson in the animal field and mm -hmm. have really just taken that with me for the rest of my life that oh my god that's amazing yeah that no one's going to speak up for animals these communities these people unless you yeah. do like you can't rely on other people mm -hmm. to do it and if you're passionate about it and you believe it then it's your job to speak up yeah so talking about your incredible book series, which is now officially a series. You have a second one coming yes. out. Oh Tell people goodness. a little bit about Jumo, about the first one. How, what was it like pursuing yet another dream and literally becoming a best-selling author? Yeah. So wild. I 
have this thing where I have out loud dreams and then like silent dreams. And so my out loud dream was, oh, I'm going to write a book someday. And I like keep the dreams that I don't think are achievable, like inside. And I don't speak them out loud, but recently I've really learned the power of speaking your dreams out loud, manifesting, like all of that, just really like owning what you want to do. And so I was approached for the first book, um, by an amazing human. And she actually co-authored the first book, Juma the Unicorn with me. And she was like, I think you should write a children's book series about your time as a zookeeper. Children love animals. It would be cool for you to bring in the knowledge you have about the animals and about the field. And so the first book, Juma the Unicorn, we decided to kind of go the inclusivity route where he's a rhino, but he might think that he's a unicorn. And so he goes through challenges with telling different animals in the zoo. And in the end, Manda tells them that, you know, they have to be his friend and they have to stick up for him and love him regardless of what he thinks he is or isn't. And yeah, that book I think has a great message. It can be very obviously tied to the LGBTQ community. Again, I have some very personal friends that I love that represents in that, but it also could be you know, I want to be this and I'm changing my mind. I want to be that, or, you know, just the overarching message of friendship and love. And well, I loved it. I thought it was, you know, yes, of course it's written for children, but it does have a fantastic message in it. And I cannot wait to get the second book in the series. So can you tell everyone listening when it's going to come out and where they can find it? Yes. So the second book in the series is titled Manda's Magical Zoo. So instead of continuing after the first book, it's actually going back in time because people had a lot of questions about, well, who is this pink haired zookeeper and why can she talk to animals? So again, we're going back in time to tell the audience how she got her superpowers. And that book will be coming out April 7th. And you can find it in hardcover, paperback, or ebook on Amazon. And it'll also be available at Barnes and Noble online as well, too. And we are working on getting a pre-order date out soon. Yes. So I'll circle back with that one. Yes, you heard it here, guys. You can get your copy April 7th. I'm so proud of you, Amanda. Woo. I am proud of everything you've done, everything you've overcome, everything you have accomplished. And if you guys are listening and you want to follow along with Manda's journey, uh, can you tell everyone where they can find you? Yes. So you can find me literally everywhere at that Manda girl. So yes. TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, <laughs> Facebook, all of it. Twitter. I'm not really active on Twitter, but I'm there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think my, my Twitter account is needs to be like resurrected from the dead. Oh, I don't even remember yeah. what my username is on it. Yeah. And then my website is thatmanagirl.com. You can find my podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts for free, Sunshine and Rainbows Pod. Yeah. We're also you on can, Instagram. And yes. You can go and find our episode on a Sunshine and Rainbows podcast because we did one where Amanda interviewed me. Yes. We're just swapping <laughs> interviews now. Yeah. I love it. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the pod, Amanda. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you. Thank you so so much for having me. You know, I'm a huge supporter of all you do. And I'm just so glad that the internet brought us together. We are very, very, very similar. And it's so great yes. to have someone that sees me for me and understands me. So I appreciate you. 
forever grateful, forever Mm. grateful. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. If you have enjoyed it, then please do not forget to like, rate, and subscribe. And I will catch you guys next week.